Colossians 3, beginning of verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So the last time we were together dealing with uh, the book of Ephesians was quite a while ago, um, to say the least. So just a quick review on 18. We won't belabor the point because we spent the whole time uh, dealing with verse 18. Uh, and we did so not only so we can understand it, but also because it's one of those passages that is often misunderstood because it is often misrepresented and also because a lot of people don't like it. Um, normally that's in our culture or Western culture. Uh, they don't like that because they uh, somehow believe that, number one, it is somehow against the idea of equality, that men and women are not equal. It's got nothing to do with that um, at all. Both men, men and women are made in the image of God and are equal in every way, um, in that sense, as far as their value in the eyes of God. Both are made in the image of God. There are differences, obviously, between men and women in many ways, and the Bible makes that clear from Genesis all the way to uh, Revelation. And in the marriage relationship, there is specific roles and responsibilities that both men and women are to have and to fulfill. Um, and men and women are to complement each other. In fact, when you read the account in Genesis when God made uh, Eve for um, Adam, he was making him a helpmate. The idea behind all of that is that when he made Adam, he did not make Adam self-sufficient and he did not make Adam complete. Adam not being complete was not a flaw. That was a design by God so that there would be another individual, a companion that would come along so they would be able to create a new life together, uh, that they would be better together than alone. It doesn't mean you can't be alone, all right? So it's not, you know, we don't want to start going off in that direction. Um, but the idea is that uh, marriage is, this, is one of the basic foundations of life that God has created. Uh, and it is to be understood that way. Uh, again, one of the things to remember is in our culture, um, the idea of marriage was not someone's idea one day, and we just created marriage laws. It goes back a long ways, and it wasn't an invention of somebody. It, it comes from Scripture. That idea comes from the Bible. Uh, the way marriage is set up, it comes from the Bible. Marriage has been corrupted because of the sin of man. Uh, men's view of women and the way women respond to men, that's been corrupted by sin. And Genesis even talks about that, that uh, when God cursed Adam and Eve and cursed the earth for sin, he mentions uh, the root cause of this problem we have, not only in marriages, but even in society. Uh, that basically uh, men will exercise authority over women with harshness. They, won't be, they will not be uh, kind, uh, and they will exploit them, and they will seek to squash them. Right? That's predicted in Genesis. And you see that in society, 
through all these years. Uh, women, on the other hand, which we know are physically weaker uh, than men, that's just a fact of life. That doesn't mean there's not some lady somewhere who's so good at martial arts she can't beat up some men. That doesn't mean that. I'm sure there is. Uh, that's not the point. We're just speaking in generalities. But the bottom line is, is that women uh, are, are not going to have not only respect for the husbands or for men, uh, but they're going to seek to manipulate them. They're going to seek to find ways to get them to do what they want them to do. Basically, the idea is you just find another way to be the boss, kind of an idea. So there's this conflict that's there. Uh, and that's why then for a marriage to flourish the way that it's supposed to, um, it's important for both those individuals to be Christians, to be committed to Christ. And then within that context, uh, you're able to have the kind of relationship that marriage is supposed to be. Uh, marriage is to be um, a nurturing relationship where both individuals are highly committed to each other and exclusively. Uh, they want what is best for each other. They work together. They sacrifice for each, for each other. There's all those things that are going on um, uh, in that relationship. And even when there's disagreement, uh, the way they're going to resolve those disagreements um, are going to be done in a way following the scripture. Now, we are imperfect people, and we don't always do it that way. But even through all of that, um, God is going to bless uh, marriages because, again, he designed it, and it is for our good uh, when, it, when it comes to that. And in fact, he... He holds marriage up as being the uh, example of the relationship between Christ and the church. Um, and so my theory is, is that in our culture today, the reason why we have a growing number of individuals who don't have a lot of respect for the church, there's two main reasons. One, the church hasn't always functioned like it should. But number two, marriages aren't the way they are. And so because the marriage and the family is not the way it's supposed to be, uh, the church, in a sense, is lost, and they're both kind of searching for identity, and they keep following the world, and the end result of that is we have younger generations that have no respect for what? The family, marriage, and church. And so that's where we are, and everything's falling apart. So women here are told to be submissive. The idea here is that's, the, that's, the, the be, that's a way of life. It's a willingness, so it's not a forced subjugation. It is not that he's the boss um, and she's the slave. It's not that at all. Uh, but it is the idea that she is willing, she, she has a willing submissiveness to him. You can't, we can't apologize for that. That's what the Bible says. And it's not a demeaning position. We're just kind of almost brainwashed in our society uh, because we have been kind of taught and it is spoken about in this way uh, and it is implied that this kind of submission is demeaning, and it's not. There is submission that is demeaning, but that's not what the Bible is talking about. Um, in the same way that if you see someone whose children are very obedient, we normally we don't think, look at that family. Those kids are just little slaves. We don't think that. We're like, wow, that's pretty awesome. You don't see the kids saying, well, I'm only obeying my parents, but I'm not really human. Because they don't treat me like a human. That's not, you know, they treat me like a dog. That's, that's not what's going on. All right? The idea is, is that, you know, the, the, as children are raised and learn to respect their parents and obey their parents, that's not a bad thing. Um, it's a good thing. And we see when that orderliness takes place the way they're supposed to, um, then what we call the horrid teenage years aren't as bad. 
just, just so you know that, uh, and, it, and I think it's still true, you know that most teenagers don't rebel. If they did, you think the jail is full now, right? Most kids don't do that. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have problems with authority. Doesn't mean sometimes they buck up against their parents. That happens. But I'm talking about this idea that, you know, the moment they turn 13 or they get close to that, that you want to pull your hair out because they just go berserk. Um, it does happen, but it's not common. Um, it may become common one day, um, but if we are raising our children the way we're supposed to, most of that will be prevented. Most of that. Um, when we get to some of the other verses, we'll see some of the best ways to make sure that's prevented uh, in our families. But back then to the woman and what the Bible says about the woman being submissive. Um, again, this is something that she's doing. She chooses to do this. She's not forced to do this. She's to have a willing spirit. Um, she's doing it um, because she's motivated by God to do this, to do what he says. And the implication from the book of Ephesians is that when the woman is submissive, her submission is gained by the way the husband loves his wife. So if he loves his wife the way he's supposed to, then, then there's not going to be any conflict there. It's just not going to happen. Um, so looking at verse 19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The Amplified says, Husbands, love your wives. Be affectionate and sympathetic with them. Do not be harsh or bitter or resentful towards them. So what, is, what in that short verse, what does he mean when he says, husbands love your wives? And, and of course, remember that when he adds, do not be harsh, that's, that's taken in conjunction with the way he's supposed to be loving her. So the idea is, is the word for love here is, uh, a lot of people have heard it, you know, there's this various Greek words for love. It is the word agape. Um, and the, one of the main things about that that word, there's many main things about it really, but one of the main things about that word is that it is a commitment that you willfully make. It's not about your affections. Affections is the icing on top. You will have affections often, hopefully you do, for your wife. You have affection for your wife. But your love for her and the way you treat her is not based on your affections. Uh, because your emotions, your affections can change, right? You can have a bad meal, you can have a bad day, you can have a lot of bad things that, that will make you not feel loving towards an individual. So it's not based on that, it's, it's much stronger than that. It's, it's supposed to be an unwavering commitment uh, that you have to your wife, to her well-being. Um, so it is the same kind of consistent love and sacrificial love that Christ displayed for those he died for. When we talk about Christ dying for us, we talk about God's love for us, we know that Christ had this high level of commitment to the point that, remember that when he was being tortured, remember when he was being tortured, he was being tortured for our sins, not, not his. He didn't commit any sin. He was completely innocent. I don't know about you, but even if I'm guilty of stuff, if I think someone's treating me too harsh, I get pretty upset. Right, we don't like that. He, he deserves zero of what's going on. And he followed through on that and allowed himself to be crucified which again, even by today's standard, is still considered one of, the one of the cruelest, most painful forms of death ever invented by man. And it was an invention of man. And, and the Romans actually worked on perfecting it so that you would suffer more. 
and they perfected it so that it would take several days to die. The, the whole goal was for you not to die right away. It was to suffer. Uh, and so Christ allowed himself to be crucified, again, for our sin. So that's, that's the example that, that is set for us to imitate when it comes to how we are to love uh, our wives. Uh, so I have in your, in your notes there, I did not come up with these questions. There's all kinds of questions you can come up with. This is just a sampling of questions about uh, trying to figure out if you're loving your wife the way you want to. So the first question is, what have I given up for my wife lately? So it doesn't mean you have to always give things up for, uh, but it may be the giving up of your preferences. It may be that, you know, so it's not always that you have to give up stuff, maybe giving up your preference, um, giving up whatever. Um, you just, you don't want your way in a selfish way. You want to give preference to her and to what she wants. Because you love her, you want to honor her, you want to serve her, you want to sacrifice for her. It's not about you, it's about her. That's the, that's the whole idea here. Sometimes we, that bothers us a little, a little because we start thinking, well, what about what I want? Well, what about what you want? Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right, just be concerned for others um, and be concerned for your wife. The rest of it really will play out pretty well. So follow what it says. What has it cost me to be her husband? Now, sometimes you may be a really good husband and not really think it costs you anything. You just haven't thought about it. All right. There's a lot of things that we just, hopefully you, you do automatically that you just haven't thought about that you've actually maybe given up. Um, I, usually it's younger individuals, that expect, if, in fact even more so, it's individuals who wait maybe a long time to get married. Uh, but what some guys have to recognize is, because I've told guys this, when you get married, there's no more night out with the boys. That's over. It's night out with your wife. Or it's stay home with your wife. Period. That's what it is. There's no more night out. Now, there may be night out with your wife and friends, but everything you do now is a we thing. It's not a me thing, you know, kind of thing. Uh, it doesn't mean you can never do anything for yourself, but that's something that you and your wife discuss together. And in that discussion, it's not you trying to manipulate her to say yes. <laughs> right? It's not you trying to strike a deal with her. Right? You're really trying to find out, is, is she really okay with it? You know, that type of thing. Um, uh, but, that, but that's kind of the idea, you, is, is that it, uh, you are willing to kind of um, give up these things. Or you can ask yourself, what sacrifices have I made to enhance her well-being? So, the, again, the idea is, is, what can I do to serve her? What can I do to serve her better? What can I do to make her happy? What can I do to make her happier? Now, this isn't about just spending money. All right. I mean, if you have money to spend, fine. But the bottom line is, is, is there's more obviously to a relationship than just what you buy the individual. All right. You're, you're developing a life together, doing things together, uh, you know, that type of thing. And so, you know, you, whatever those things happen to be. So if you have to give up things, you give, you give things up. Uh, it doesn't mean it's always wrong to kind of work out a bargain with certain things. I made a bargain with my wife because um, I know that I have an inordinate love for football. And so I made her a deal. And, so the, and I offered, I said, here's the deal. I will do all the laundry. You let me watch football. Because I watched a lot of football. I'll do it all. Wash, dry, and fold. You know, I fold it as well. Uh, and she said, we didn't have any kids yet. She said, so even when we have kids? I go, yeah. 
Which means I'm having four kids. That's a lot of laundry. But you know what? It's fine with me. And so even to this day, even though I watch less football than I used to, I still do 90% of the laundry. She sometimes she just does it. And I didn't ask her to, but I, but I do it. All right? There's nothing wrong with that. All right? The thing is that you agree and, and you, you're making these sacrifices together. And uh, if... Um, and if she said, well, no, I just still want you to watch less. When I was younger, I would have been really reluctant, but I would have given in. Now it would be a lot easier because there's a lot of football I don't like. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. But the bottom line is, is it's about that individual. And you want, you want to cherish that person. So the idea of loving your wife then is you want, to, you, want your love, you want to love your wife in such a way that she feels that as far as you're concerned, She's the most cherished person in your life. That's what, that's what you're going for. You want her to feel like she's the most cherished person, and in, especially woman, but most cherished person in your life. Uh, and, if you're, and if you're heading in that direction, then things are going to be okay um, in, your, in your relationship. Uh, so again, the implication here from Ephesians is that you're loving your wife that way, she's going to be submissive. How, when it comes to loving your wife this way, this verse is in the present imperative, which means it is to be your habit continuously. Not just when you want something, not just when you're in a good mood, this is all the time, period. Um, it is an active voice, which means it is a volitional choice. So, what, so what's happening is, is, so I'm doing this because God has commanded me to do this. I want to do this because I love my wife. I can say that I want to do this more now than I did when I first got married. Now, when I first got married, I wasn't reluctant, but I didn't have as much motivation as I do now uh, because I've grown and changed, which is supposed to happen. All right, so it, it's a both and kind of thing. So, you know, I've told individuals, I've told men sometimes, that you have to do this. You don't have a choice. And you have to do this until you want to. And then when you want to, you got no problem. <laughs> all right? But that's the idea uh, when it comes to this. I think you can see, if you just think about all these things we're saying, if a man loves his wife like that, there's not going to be too many divorces. Right? It's not going to be. The, the, the marriage is going to remain intact. This is also an imperative, which means, again, it's a command. Uh, but here's the thing that's important. For the Christian. Because it's a command from God to us, then there's an implication from the Bible with that command. God gives us his spirit, which means he gives us the power to obey. So we have no excuse. Even no matter how hard it is, we have no excuse to fail in that way. That's what we're supposed to do. Period. All the commands in the New Testament are opportunities for us to depend on the supernatural enabling power of the indwelling Spirit of God. So in your flesh, you do not have the ability to love your wife this way on your own. You'll get tired of it. You'll run out of energy. You might even become bitter. Right? We, we are dependent upon God. You know, this is, this is, God is fueling this in us. Uh, that's why then when, when couples begin to have problems in their marriage, when one, of, when one or both, but let's say it's the guy, we're talking about the guy, 
if the guy is having difficulty doing these things or acting in this way, that reflects where his relationship with the Lord is. Because that's a command. He's disobeying God. He's not depending upon God to fulfill. He's, he's choosing to rebel against God in this area. That's sin. And so that reflects where he is. He's not where he should be. All right? He's not saying, I'm really trying hard and, I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm being submissive to God and I have these old habits. That's one thing we can deal with that. But that's, that's not what's going on when there's divorce or when, there's, when someone's pursuing another woman or whatever. That, that, that's, they're doing all those things by choice. And they want to blame other people, but there's no one else to blame. We only blame ourselves uh, for, this, uh, for these kinds of things. Uh, and also remember that because it's a command of God, this is not contingent on your wife loving you. It's not based on her doing anything. It'd be great if she does, but it's not based on that. Remember, Romans tells us, there's a verse, I think it's in Romans 8. In Romans 8 it says, while we were, it's a short verse, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Very short verse, very simple. When you look at that in the Greek, the idea behind that is while we were still actively sinning and rebelling against God, that is when Christ came in the midst of that and died for us. So the emphasis is not that uh, God waited until we, we had finished our hissy fit. God did not wait till we finished our sinning and we were tired and, and there was a break in between sins. And he said, okay, now's a good to know. When we were in the midst of rebelling against him, he did that for us. So Christ offering himself and making a sacrifice for us, for this relationship he's going to have with us, is not contingent upon us. It's all on him. So when it comes to the marriage relationship, obviously it takes two to have a successful marriage. But you loving your wife is the only person that gets in the way of that is you, the man. The woman can't get in the way of that. She can do whatever she wants. If you are loving her this way, she can't prevent any of that. Um, and so that's, so that's what we have to get in our minds because you know, we're used to this idea of a give and take. You know, we're used to this idea that, because I've had people say this all the time, well, I tried it that way. And I loved her like that for six months. Didn't work. Time out. It's not about you doing it till it works. It's about you doing it, period. That's it. All right, because we're, we are to live in obedience to God. Again, in our culture, people go, whoa, 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 that's, that's just not fair. Well, if you're looking for fairness, you're in the wrong life. Because there's no life you can live where it's fair. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as fairness. And besides, you really don't want fair. Because if it's fair, that means you get everything you deserve. Right? So we're not going to go in that direction. But we live, in a, we live in a culture where, again, just the normal way they process things is against really what the Scripture is telling us to do. Now, this is hard. This is not easy. Right? This becomes difficult. And often it becomes more difficult after the first few years. You know, the first few years, everyone's all goo-goo-ga-ga. You know, and so it's all, everything's easy. And then after that, you know, kind of real life kicks in and things can be hard. But we do need to also remember at the same time that during the days of the Bible, and still in many countries today, there's no dating. Your parents picked out who you were going to marry when you were an infant. 
you may meet that person for the first time on your wedding day. And these commands are from God to that individual. Man, that just, this, the idea of romantic love that we have, it's not a bad thing. I like it. But it's not a real biblical idea. Right? It, you know, it, it's, you know, it, in fact, it used to, I think India has been so influenced by the West, this is no longer true. But it used to be. Even as early as the 19, even as, as I don't know if it'd be early or late, as late, I guess, as the 1960s. You know, we're used to watching love stories where, you know, there's a young couple that fall in love and then all these things begin to happen and one of them leaves, the other one is crying and boohooing because life is over or whatever. When well, in India, when they show those movies and the person's boohooing, they crack up. They, they think it's a comedy. They are laughing because they can't believe anybody would do that over what? You know, their heart is broken, and they just, they just to them, it's hilarious. Um, but I think, I think because of Western influences, that has changed. Because, again, they all have, most of them, still have arranged marriages. Uh, in fact, um, sometimes there are still, there are Indian men who have moved to America, who work in big cities, and their buddies will say, man, aren't you going to go dating? No, my parents are at home now, finding me my wife. And their friend's like, what? I mean, they just think that's bizarre. And a time will come when this man will buy his ticket to go home to meet his new wife. I mean, that's just, <laughs> and you know what? And they make it. Most of those marriages do really well, uh, to say the least. So, uh, so I'm not against dating, per se. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that this romantic thing that we have going on sometimes can really interfere uh, with how we understand and obey what the Bible says. So again, this command that we're talking about, about the man loving his wife, really uh, demands that the husband is, is, has a growing and a maturing relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what is most important. That is why going to church and being involved in church is so important for the Christians. Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. That could that be helpful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. All right, um, let me read to you this, this, uh, what this guy wrote about this. Um, he says, loving incarnationally, in other words, loving like Christ did with the other person, loving in the flesh. He said, loving this way means that we must work at spending time together. In the June 1986 issue of Psychology, several hundred happily married couples were surveyed. The interviews were conducted privately with each spouse alone. The two top things they, that they said kept the marriage going were, my spouse is my best friend, and I like my spouse as a person. The researchers said good marriages develop among those who purposely spend a lot of time together. Along with this, loving this way means listening. The Harvard Business Review says 65% of an executive's time 
should be spent listening. So much more, so much more so in our most intimate relationships. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame, which is in Proverbs. Uh, so agape love spends time, listens, and gives itself. So just so you know, uh, in, I've read a couple of books on why marriages fall apart and surveys that were done and studies. And um, one of the things that was interesting was they, uh, this one secular psychologist noticed that when, when guys would leave their wives, and again, this is just generally, most of the time, uh, they were going for, they, were, they would then become involved with younger, more attractive um, women. But he said with the women, and now this is all done in the 1960s and 70s. He said with the women, he said sometimes it would be really strange because you would look at the guy they were with and he wasn't exactly a model out of GQ. And they're just trying to figure out like, why aren't there like these gorgeous men that these women are, are going after? And, and they learned that the number one reason why these women became enamored with another man was because he listened. That's it. The husband stopped listening. This guy's willing to listen. That's it. It was absolutely unbelievable. Um, the uh, the importance of sharing your life with the other person. Uh, when I was when I first became a jail chaplain, I took uh, a. A, I, I took a training course uh, with those who were the officers, learning how to be officers in jail. And I did it just to kind of meet that group and just kind of go through the whole thing. And so when, um, when we were going through it, there was a guy that came down from Atlanta. He was a Christian. And he was talking to the guys. And I forget what the name of the, of the, of the talk he was giving. It was an hour long. He talked about the divorce rate among officers. And that would be police officers, uh, correctional officers, any, any individual in law enforcement. So the national divorce rate at that time was running about 51, 55% of all marriages in divorce. For those who were in law enforcement, it was 68%. And he said they figured out some of the reasons why. One of them is when an individual is a correctional officer or a police officer, you know, you're, you're working with the side of society that we don't like to see all the time. You know, people who are just, I mean, if you're a cop, you just see, you just see the bad things every day. If you're a correctional officer, you're around, you're around people who are just, sometimes they are just filthy people. And you're with them every day. So what happens is they don't want to take their work home with them. And they don't want to expose their spouse to what they're experiencing. So they don't talk about it. Well, when they don't talk about it, we're human beings. Eventually, you want to talk to somebody. You just, just talk to them. And so that leads to hanging out with the boys, whether you're going to a bar or to a ball game. And, uh, of course, there are women in law enforcement as well. And next thing you know, you know you're sharing common experiences with maybe another lady correctional officer or somebody who's within the system, whether she's a parole officer or whatever it happens to be, and you create a bond, and you've already been drifting apart from your wife because you're not sharing anything with her. And then that leads to, to this divorce. So that's why communication um, is so important. Uh, just so you know, for the last 50 years, 
the top three reasons for divorce in no order have been the same. It's sex, money, and communication. And in those, communication is a part of all of them, always. And the inability or the refusal or communicating poorly is always part of the equation. And often, even if there's poor communication, the poor communication often comes about because at some point they stop communicating. So it's almost a forced communication. And so then you have bitterness and you have all kinds of stuff that's mixed in there and you have problems. So this idea of wanting this to spare your spouse, it sounds like a good idea, it's not. It's not a good idea. You want to share everything with, with, you, with your spouse and, and because you're building a life together. Right? That's the, always what it is. And that person is there to support you. Even, even if you're dealing with the ugliest aspect of society every day, all right, you're not bringing her down. Right? She's an adult. She needs to know what you're dealing with every day. So she can pray for you, so she, can, so she understands what you're talking about, she can follow. You don't have to explain everything all the time because she's already up to speed. Um, because you know, that can lead to bitterness. I've seen guys where they haven't talked to their wives about their work and then they start maybe sharing a story with, at, a, at a gathering, they're sharing a story with somebody and to her, this is all brand new stuff. And so she starts asking questions and he gets really irritated at all these interruptions. Well, that's his fault because he hasn't clued her into what's going on. And of course, now he's embarrassed his wife just goes off. Right, so there's a problem. So all these, this communication thing is really very important. Um, and, I would add, and I would add to that for Christian couples, praying together is a part of that. Um, it, it's really important. You don't have to spend hours and hours praying together. If you do, great. Um, but it is important to pray together. And just make sure you don't do this. If you have a disagreement, don't use your prayer to scold your spouse. You know, don't say, Lord, I, I ask that you would really help my wife uh, not to get so angry when I, hey, don't do that. It's not a good idea. You can pray for your shortcomings at that time, but not hers. All right? But the main thing is, is be praying together, to be praying together, be praying for others, um, things that you're both concerned about. Uh, that's part of that communication, uh, which is, really, again, really important. And that would really help, again, in the relationship, because that's what friends do, right? The idea is, is your spouse is to be your best friend, period. You may have a best friend with someone else when you get married, but your spouse should eventually replace that person. It doesn't mean that person's out of your life. It doesn't mean that person is no longer a really good friend, all right? I'm not saying that. that, that you have a really good friend, it's great. But your spouse needs to become your best friend. There's just no way to get around that. Um, because you're going to be living, you're supposed to be living together for the rest of your life. And when you go through the good times and the bad times, you want your best friend with you. You don't want to have to call your best friend, who is since uh, a few years ago moved to Canada and asked her to come back down, or him to come back down. That's not how it's going to work. You want that, the individual who's been through those things with you together. Um, and sometimes, uh, one of the reasons... Sometimes, one of the reasons, because God has many reasons why he allows things. Sometimes he allows, you allow your family to go through, through some really difficult times uh, because that's his plan on helping you and your spouse to get closer. Nothing works like that. Fighting through something together, that's difficult. 
uh, that brings sorrow, pain, maybe trauma, whatever it is, uh, where you guys are exposed, all right? You're, you're made vulnerable because of what's happened. That brings those, those souls together uh, in a tighter bond. And that's what's supposed to happen. Um, sometimes what, what, what those traumatic times reveal is that the relationship is not going as, as good as it should, and it can kind of, it begins to cause, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to say it causes a rift, it reveals the rift that was already forming. Now, it may make the rift bigger. Um, one of the things that was really sad, uh, remember, when, um, remember when that blonde-headed girl disappeared in Aruba years and years and years ago, and they never found her body? Right, so for years and years, her parents were like, you know, pleading with people to, to, to not forget, to keep investigating, whatever. Well, eventually, they divorced. And you know who she married? Uh, remember there was a little girl in Colorado who was taken from her home? And they, I guess she was found murdered. She was found dead later. And the parents were, were suspected off and on. I don't know if they did. I have no idea. Yes, yeah. And uh, so she and that man, because they had divorced, ended up getting married. Now, they got married partly, I think, because they both understood what they were going through. But the reason why they both got divorced is because the relationship that, was, that, that took place, that, that they had at that time with their spouse wasn't as good as it maybe have appeared to be. It, that was exposed. Um, and there can be some really difficult things to go through in life, really hard things. Um, and, and we need people, and more importantly, we need, we need a person. Now, I will say this, just, this is no charge, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, when it comes to friends, it is, generally speaking, easier for women to have more close friends than guys do. Guys usually have close buddies. Now, some guys are fortunate they have some really good friends, which is great. And that is rare, to be honest. It is. It's just rare. Uh, however, um, so what, ha what can happen is sometimes a man can become a little jealous because of his wife's friends. She's so close to them and tells them everything to the point that he's embarrassed. So, number one, he has to recognize that it's normal for women to have close friends. But the woman also needs to recognize that she's not to cut her husband out of this. That, that again, that relationship needs, needs to develop. And so, the, and they both need to work on listening and communicating so that, so that they can have uh, a, a good back and forth. I will also say that it's very difficult for guys to share how they feel about things, because we don't do that. I guarantee you, with all of my male buddies, we don't talk about our feelings. Just don't do that. It's not a bad thing, just don't. You know, if I went to a football game with Matt, I guarantee you we ain't talking about our feelings anywhere along the way. You know, unless it's like, I'm really sick and tired of the Chicago Bears because they don't know what they're doing when it comes to draft day, and I really feel irritated with them. We'll talk about that. But I'm not sharing with him whatever, okay? Now, the problem is, is that with my wife, I don't share like that either. I, have to, I had to learn to do that. That was hard, just so you know. Maybe for some guys it's easy. For me, it was extremely hard, it, unbelievably hard. And it's not that I have secrets. I just don't, I just don't do that. And you know, my, my dad didn't do that. Now, I, I guess he shared things with my mom. Yeah, I don't know, but I mean, we just don't, don't do that. And so we had to learn how to do that. Doesn't mean you share, doesn't mean that you become a bleeding heart and you're always blubbering and weeping and all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> But uh, now I know this may sound kind of weird, 
All right? But it took me, so my wife and I have been married 47 years. So I already know this, that me as a man, sharing things with my wife, how I feel about different things, is very helpful in our relationship with us being close. So there's some things that, that, that I've not shown my wife that I've just never thought of before. Just hadn't thought about. So after we've been married for 46 years, I told her, because she was asking one day, she goes, what is it with you and working out? You just, and she's okay with me working out, but it's like, she says, you're obsessed. I go, well, no, I think I'm disciplined. I did used to be obsessed. That's changed. I'm disciplined, but, and she was just like, I just don't get it. And then I told her for the first time, because I just thought about it, I said, you know, I actually think it goes back to when I was like 14 or 15. And you know how people have this whole body image deal? I had that. I was skinny. I was weak. I was so, I told her I was so weak that when I first started lifting weights, I lied to everyone about lifting weights. Because I had to lift weights for a year to be normal. To be just, to be, to be what other guys are just normally, who don't work out, I had to lift weights for a year. That's how weak I was. It was unbelievable. Uh, and, it, and the reason why I didn't, I've never said it the way. So if you lift weights, you know what happens? They ask you, well, how much can you lift? How much can you bench? Well, I didn't want to tell them because I'm sure that they were half the girls in the school who could lift more than I could. All right, so that But here's the thing. That can be a deep psychological thing that you can carry around for the rest of your life. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not confessing like it's some big weakness. But I know I still have that to some degree. I know I do. It's there. I know it's there. It's not debilitating. I don't let it dominate my life. I, it doesn't affect my decisions anymore. It used to. Not anymore. All right, so all that's handled. But you know what? It's still there. I, I can, I don't know. I don't feel that. I guess I can sense it. It's not like a little person. I'm not like, I'm not like really weird. I mean, you know, just, but the thing is, but here's the thing. It took 46 years for me to tell my wife that. She just never thought about it. And she was like, why did it take you so long to tell me? Well, I don't know. You know, but now she knows. All right? So the thing is, is that we, you want to keep working on that kind of stuff, and that helps that individual to understand you better, be closer. That is what God wants. Okay, that's what he wants. Uh, for us to share all those, our deepest vulnerabilities with that individual. Yes, ma'am. My son uh, was getting ready to get married in his early 20s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, I don't feel comfortable in telling my fiance about this because I don't want to burden her. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like she's going to like look at me like I'm a strong person if I tell her this stuff. Yeah. And I was like, my advice to him was like, you know, I perceive when you're in a marriage that your partner should be in this to always build you up. Yep. To make you the best you can be. Mm-hmm. And and I said, and I, I I'm gonna say it. I don't I'm looking I said, you know, and if, if they're not in that way, I said, you know, you really need to think about that. And um and now I'm gonna go back to him because I thinking even further to say, you know what? If she's not in that way, ask for that. Mm-hmm. You know, don't just think about it, ask for what you need. Mm-hmm. Because some people don't know the obvious that we're mm-hmm. thinking. Don't yeah, I would say most of the time in a, in, a, in a decent marriage, if the man is strong 
and he tells his wife something that he's afraid will make him look weaker, it won't. It won't make him look weaker. Because it does take certain strength to admit certain weaknesses. Okay? So, and again, you're both in it together. And understanding each other is a really very important aspect of that. Now, again, that develops through time. You know, it's not all at once. It's not where you back up the dump truck and out it comes in one day. Even though, I'm not saying they would be bad, but the idea is, is that um, we want to move. And, th and that's the one thing you said which I thought was important is this. We, we do live in a culture where, maybe more so because of social media, we're always trying to shape and influence other people's views about us. I want people to think about me in a certain way. So we try to craft that, either by the pictures we put up, by what we say, by what we don't say. Uh, sometimes it's just our silence. There's all kinds of things that we do to kind of control. control all of that. And we do, it, we do it without thinking. Some do it, are, some are more thinking than others. So, so in that marriage relationship, you want, you want to move away from that. You don't want to craft that individual's view of you. If, that's what you're, if, if the relationship requires that, you shouldn't be getting married. That that's the wrong person. Or, or you're the wrong person because that's not going to be helpful. So we have to we got we want to move away from that. And that's the whole, again the idea of the vulnerability. And again, if you think about those individuals who are put together by their families in marriage, ain't I know it's bad in English, but that ain't going on before they get married because they're meeting for the first time at the ceremony. So there's so from that point on, all of that stuff begins to come out as they share life together. Um, so yeah, he. Uh, he just needs not to worry too much about shaping uh, her view of him, kind of a thing. Um, okay, we'll stop there. Because um, the next thing, because I, I wanted to read you something, and I, I can't read it to you and then say anything uh, to complete the thought. So we'll leave it there. So we'll finish up verse 19. Uh, next Wednesday, and then we will get into verse 20, uh, where it talks about, uh, we'll, we'll take the fathers and kids verse together, uh, which will be really important, I think, in helping us to understand how we are to parent, how other, maybe, you know, you may, you may not have kids, but if you have friends that have kids, especially if they say they're Christians, you want to be able to know those, the kinds of things they should be doing, so A, you can support them in what they're doing if they're doing it right, and then B, maybe help them if they're not doing certain things right. Um, because uh, the raising of kids in one hand is more difficult now than ever because culture is set against you. All right? Before, culture was mostly on your side, our culture in, in America, mostly on your side. But now it's mostly, if you're a Christian, it's mostly against everything you think and do. Um, and so that, that's why... The church is so important and why it's important to be involved in a good, healthy church, studying the scripture and supporting each other in all these ways because the world is doing its best to, to tear the family apart. Uh, and um, as you just keep up with the news, in trying to find ways to take away really parental rights and responsibilities, desperately uh, to do that. And um, there are reasons for that and they are sinister, uh, to say the least. And it's not always necessarily because they want to do things to your kids. It's bigger than that, but that's part of it as well. So uh, anyway, we'll, we will get into that next week. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you again for your goodness, grace, and love. We thank you, Father, again for your word and really for the practicality of your word. We ask, Lord, you help us to think a great deal about it. And, and in particular, Father, as Christians, for those of us who are Christians, I pray, Lord, you help us to think about the relationship we have with others, how important those relationships are, and how important it is for us to be what we ought to be as Christians. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to apply the word to our life, that by your spirit you will enable us to live in obedience to what the word of God says. Because, Father, we, we desperately need that. We need your help. Help us to stand strong on the word. Help us to never waver. We ask now you would dismiss us with your grace and your kindness. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.